Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. And this is a very special bonus episode, filling the gap left by Ant-Man, um, in which we'll be discussing all of the news to have come out of Comic-Con last week. Um, and we're not going to waste any time with any explaining comic book concepts because we've got so much of that to come further down the line when Seven James explains to me all of the comic book movie news from Comic-Con that I didn't understand. Um, so we'll dive right in, and I think the place to start is probably, unquestionably, the Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice trailer. An epic extended trailer that runs d- just short of four minutes. Um, Seb, James, this is our first kind of real good luck at this movie uh, beyond that kind of brief teaser trailer that we got are you are you starting to get any more positive about this film i'm starting to get a lot less positive if that counts i'm i'm getting a lot more positive than i even was before about Zack snyder's ability to cut trailers together i mean that man that man makes a good trailer i, I think it's a really good trailer i mean i i'm not i'm not going to jump to any assumptions about the movie but there are things in there that I like. I think Zack Snyder continues to show that he can frame a single shot really, really well. The moment, the moment in the trailer when Superman is kind of hovering godlike above a family who are drowning, and the moment when Superman rips the top of the Batmobile off and faces off with Batman, those are really. And this is the thing: shots. it's like it's a good trailer because it raises loads of questions about what the hell is going on in the movie, and it shows lots of stuff that looks really cool. The problem is that it's a trailer for a movie that I'm expecting to fervently object to the very principle <laughs> of at its core. So for that reason, I can't get too excited about it. If if you're someone who wants to see this movie, I can imagine that trailer is the most exciting thing in the world. I don't mean that. Uh, I don't. I, that probably sounds a little insulting and patronising. I genuinely mean it's a really good trailer for what that movie looks like it's going to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It's just uh, no part of it made me think, oh, I'd quite like to see that film. It just made me think this is everything I'm not going to want in a Batman versus Superman film, uh, including Batman, uh, sorry, four minutes in which Superman doesn't even talk. It is It is a Batman trailer. It's, it, it's, yeah. it, it, it looks like a trailer for a movie where Batman is the hero and Superman is the villain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you see, I, I, think it's, I think it's a really carefully balanced trailer. I, com- I completely disagree with that. I, I really liked the idea of... First of all, I liked that, that starting sequence where you're watching the Man of Steel dist- destruction from, <laughs> from Baffleck's point of view. And I think, James, you were... You were um, who was praising Ben Affleck's eye-acting? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, it's very some very good. Like you can see him looking at those buildings and going like, "What the actual hell is <laughs> um, this?" And so that's Wayne Tower, right? Metrop- Wayne Tower in but, Metropolis. But why is Wayne Tower in Metropolis? What's going on? And well, why not? Because they they're a big, they're an enormous organization. Of course, they've got okay, but offices the thing, in all the major. The thing is, I would rather it's not a Wayne building, and this is why. Because if it if it is a building of Bruce Wayne's that gets destroyed, then what it makes it look like is the catalyst for setting Bruce Wayne Batman off at being angry at Superman is my building got destroyed. <laughs> Did you really think that from the trailer, yeah, though? Was, Did you really that think little, that? It was like, you almost killed this tiny little girl. Yeah, yeah. And That's what and, Batman's and, upset about. He's well, like, and then kids you see are that... always dying when I'm around. 
<laughs> and you see that news, newspaper headline saying uh, dozens killed in Wayne Tower and there is presumably the Joker's writing on that saying you let your family die. Um, I, I will, and, and so I really liked that kind of the, the duality of yes, um, Superman is kind of being presented as being culpable for a lot of devastation, a lot of deaths at the end of the first movie and is being held account by Batman and by the government. But on the from the other point of view, you've got Jeremy Irons as Alfred giving the voiceover about, you know, there are not many good guys left in this city and, you know, what's the point at which a, a good man turns cruel? It's not evil, it's cruel. And then you see one of Batman's, like, a low-level criminal tied up on the street left for the cops, but he's been branded with a bat, sim- uh, with a bat symbol. Yeah. And it seems like both of these characters are kind of on morally questionable grounds. And I like the idea of a movie that is, if it is Dawn of Justice heading towards Justice League, going, these two characters kind of both had to learn to be heroes... Um, over the course of a movie, and maybe fighting was the only way they could do that. Although, it, what does it say about? But I mean, because this is obviously Batman at the end of his career. Because you know, we know that we know now that he has had a Robin who is dead. Mm. Um, you know, he's he's getting on a bit. He's got grey hair. This is obviously a Batman who's been around for a good while. I still can't square in my head how this is going to fit with forming the Justice League. Well, he's going <laughs> to get know. some super friends, and that's going to put him back on the right path. Yeah, so he was he was a good guy. He he fought the good fight for a long time. Stuff like the death of Robin. So that is Robin's suit, right, with bullet holes it in it and the Joker's like writing it, yeah. on it. Um, and that he's kind of had so much terrible stuff happen that he has kind of turned maybe to the wrong side onto the wrong side of that vigilante line. Um, and that this is this is kind of a second point, and I do kind of like that because I feel like on screen we've seen so much of Batman played out that this seems like a different take. It's almost like take everything that you've seen about Batman before, kind of mash that all together, and now imagine that that's the guy after that. I I just think it's sort of Zack Snyder has read Dark Knight Returns and gone. I want to do this one where Batman beats the hell out of Superman. And he's all grim and brooding and, you know. I like that it looks like um, this film's going to continue the trend of Clark Kent's <laughs> parents um, instilling terrible moral lessons in him. <laughs> love that the trailer contains Martha Kent telling him, you don't owe this world anything. I mean, for God's sake. Just, it only raised you and kept you safe. You know, it's fine. I'm totally shipping old man Batman and Mark Kent. and i mean i will say and one thing i will give it is that it certainly one thing that the trailer gets across is that in much the same way as nothing that was bad about man of steel had anything to do with henry cavill nothing that's bad about this film will have anything to do with ben affleck i I do think that affleck and cavill will be probably the two best things about the film and i mean we got we got our first glimpse of wonder woman actually in action and obviously she doesn't doesn't really (laughs) she doesn't really get to do much acting but I actually thought in action that I, when when she was you know in those brief seconds of like creating big force fields, um, I thought oh I mean like I I don't feel like this kind of like slimmer Wonder Woman is any problem whatsoever. She looks she looks the part to me. Yeah, I just don't really trust the film to do anything. <laughs> I was going to say like if that if the it character not, of Wonder Woman, if it had been anyone other than, than Zack Snyder directing that. I'd have been fine with it as it is. I'm like, well, she's just going to be the slightly porny Wonder Woman and like the way the kind of <laughs> camera frames it all is like, you know, it really, it really played up her sexuality even while she was fighting. So, you know, I, I'm not optimistic about what the actual film will be like. Okay. What about one, one final point? What about Lex Luthor? Um, oh, God. I- Oh, see, I, I was I was just going, oh, yes, Jesse Eisenberg being weird. I just uh, I really it, liked um, it. Really I wonder if it, it makes James yearn for the days of Kevin Spacey going wrong in a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you thought Lex Luthor the, in trailers couldn't get any worse. It was the kryptonite <laughs> thing that I used to like from <laughs> Kevin Spacey. But, yeah, like, what's going on with the Kurt Cobain hair? Like, seriously? He's obviously going to lose it in well, the film. Obviously, like, yeah, obviously it's yeah. going to be a point of pride for him that he has this long hair. And that, what, that he has lank, greasy it. hair? <laughs> well, do, do you not think that him owning the kryptonite is going to be why he loses it? Oh, probably, may, yeah. Maybe, actually, what you were saying about the kryptonite 
is going to, uh, you know, about it kind of radiating them. Maybe that is going to be a thing. I will, I will forgive Lex Luthor having long hair for one reason and one reason only. If it turns out that he's Lex Luthor the <laughs> second. What, he's Gene Hackman's son? Well, no, no um, in, in the comics, Lex Luthor the second was in the 90s Superman comics um, when Lex Luthor faked his own death. Um, and grew a clone body that they pretended was his long-lost son from Australia, but he had long hair. He had, he had long, long red hair, and he was like a sort of 20-something Australian bloke speaking in a terrible Australian accent, and everyone believed that it was Lex Luthor's son and that he was this really good guy who'd come to be the heir to the family fortune and stuff, but it was actually the original Lex Luthor in a clone body. There was a lot of people who weren't actually people in 90s Superman comics, is that fair to say? <laughs> and, and a lot of people with mullets as well. Okay, um, so <laughs> I think it's fair to say we're maybe mixed on that trailer, or at least with of our optimism from what that trailer can do. I certainly I just, think that at the moment it looks to me like a better movie than Man of Steel. Do you, I mean, but did, has the trailer changed your preconceptions of it? I mean, my think? preconceptions are mostly I'm wary because I didn't love Man of Steel, but I don't. I don't think. I think our Watchmen episode kind of shines a light on. I'm not quite as down on Zack Snyder as you guys are, um, and as a as a visual storyteller, at the very least, I wish they were a bit brighter. But um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I I don't want to write this film off, and I think there there is a lot of fertile ground for interesting themes and stuff to be explored throughout this movie. Um, I'm intrigued, I really am intrigued, and he's cut together an epic trailer which sells a version of that movie that I could like. Mm. Well, what about the other trailer from DC then, which was the (laughs) Suicide Squad trailer? Um, Oh good, I get to be the negative guy again. (laughs) (laughs) So this trailer originally was like the Deadpool trailer and the X-Men Apocalypse footage was not planned on being released... um, at least not in time for us to be recording this podcast, but because someone at Warner Brothers, and this was released with like a very stern um, accompanying notice from like a yeah. Warner Brothers marketing person saying, oh, we didn't want to release this, but we had to because you fans are the worst. And here it is. I hope you like it. I really hope you like it. How could they possibly have predicted that someone at Comic-Con would take camera phone footage yeah. of, of a trailer? That never happens. I, mean, I don't understand I'm not, how, the, you know. I don't want to condone the, the, the like piracy of footage. And, you know, there, are, there has been an agreement between the people that are watching that footage and the people showing it that it will not be filmed and shared. Having said that, when the Avengers Age of Ultron trailer leaked a day early, Marvel tweeted, damn it, Hydra, and laughed it off. <laughs> it really, it really like, the, the marketing of those two, uh, those two studios really reflects kind of like this, this serious, the, the, maybe the tone of the movie is the same as the tone of the marketing. I just have no idea what to make of this film at all it's just like it just feels like such an anomaly that it's that it's even happening and kind of you know what it actually feels like to me is it feels like dc's ant-man in that it feels like a film that i mean i can't i don't know how long they've actually been planning it but it feels like a film that would have been its own completely (coughs) standalone thing that's just in its weird own weird little corner but all of a sudden it's being pulled into you know this bigger picture, but and the fact that you've actually got sudden, Affleck's Batman in the trailer for it. You see, yeah. all of a sudden they've made it. They've made a very conscious decision to put this movie after, well, at at, at that point in their mm. universe building. Um, they could have yeah, pushed but it, but ahead fe- with a bunch of other movies, but this is the one that they've put there. I know, and but that's the thing. It is, but it feels like it shouldn't be because it, it, it's just. I mean, Suicide Squad just as a concept anyway is just so esoteric, and. Uh, you know, it's 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 just such a weird cast. It's such a weird set of characters. It's just such a weird conceit. But you know, so it's going to be the the third film in their slate, um, and you know they they're going to have given us more villains than heroes by that point. So, um, but just but it, the- it's, it, it, so I, I presume it's going to be kind of like a, a backdoor into various different universes because these a lot of these villains kind of have their origins in like different corners of the DC universe as well, don't they? So maybe um, there will be reference to other heroes being established. To be honest, with the lineup they've gone for, they're almost all Batman villains uh, because you've got Killer Croc in there, you've got Harley Quinn and you've got Deadshot. Um, and then the rest of the characters, I can only really think of, of Boomerang as being one who's associated with a different hero, which is that he's a Flash villain. Um, the others I don't think are 
kind of really tied to particular heroes. Mm. Um, I don't even remember where like Enchantress comes from, or um, we talked. I, I explained a little bit about who Rick Flag was, and then who who else? Who's the Katana. other? Yeah, El Diablo. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I literally he's, have not he's heard a, of that a character. recent character. Um, uh, okay. Slipknot. <laughs> um, Slipknot is another one. If they're not in the 1991 who's who in the DC universe binder, then I've got less of a chance of knowing who they are. <laughs> well, do any of them do any of them stand out particularly to you from the trailer? Because it seemed very clear to me that they were at least marketing this movie as a Deadshot, Will Smith, and Harley well, Quinn, Margot yeah, Robbie more Harley movie. Quinn. I mean, well, I think, Quinn I think those two were, were given prominence that the other characters really weren't. I, I think so. And I to be did. honest, I mean, I don't like the aesthetic that they've gone for with Harley, but it makes absolute sense to tr- to centre the narrative around her. I think. Um, yeah, and I think Margot Robbie is really good. I think I think she's well cast for that. I think you can do really interesting things with the character. As I say, it's a shame they've got her looking the way they have, but it doesn't necessarily rule out the possibility of a strong arc based around her. I think, yeah. particularly if, as it looks to me to be the case, we are picking up a Harley after having gone through whatever she's gone through with the Joker. Which it seems is, to me like the Joker's going to be the villain of the film or yes. even just going to be in flashbacks, maybe. But I think more likely he's going to be the villain and it's going to be a case of Harley's revisiting the fact that she was in this abusive situation with him in the past that she's kind of pulled away from. Well, those closing, moments of, the trailer, those closing moments of the trailer certainly look like they are the Joker in flashback doing stuff to... Is it Harleen Quinzel? Is that her name when yeah. she's a doctor? Mm. That is correct. Yeah, so I think those, that you know this is I'm not going to kill you but it's going to hurt that I think that stuff all looked like it was flashback and I think I think maybe I mean because we see Enchantress pre being Enchantress uh, and we see we definitely get a shot of Will Smith out of costume at home with Mm. some kids I wonder whether maybe the movie is going to be peppered with vignettes of kind of like mini origin stories for all of these characters Mm. Um, I mean, it's 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 hard to get a handle on on what a lot of them are going to be like. I, I will say quickly, it looks like they've they've nailed Amanda Waller pretty well. Uh, I mean, from the brief it, moment that she gets in, it's there. great casting. Viola Davis just seems mm. perfect for that. Um, I will. I would like to make a prediction on the record about this film, which is that I think Deadshot is going to get killed off by or before the halfway point <laughs> because it's the Suicide Squad. So you have to have a character getting killed off unexpectedly. That was one and... of my questions that I would prepare for you. <laughs> who, right. do you who do you think is not making it out of the first act, and who do well, you think is not making it out of the movie at all? I mean, I, 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 it would be crazy to, to get rid of Will Smith before the end of the first act, although it would be fantastically ballsy. And I think if they did that, I would love the film, you know. Mm. Um, I don't think he's getting out of the film because I think I think he's the only one... Because they're not, they wouldn't kill Harley. Um, they seem to be the only two that people are really going to have any interest in. And so I think I think it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to see a surprise dead shot. Or Rick Flagg. He, yeah, he doesn't get much. He doesn't get much exposure in this trailer, does he? <laughs> no one's going to care if Rick Flag dies, are they? Yeah, exactly. Well, why Will do you Smith think Tom dies? Hardy turned that role well, it, down? It depends, <laughs> doesn't it? What if, like, uh, there's there's so many movies that I've cared about a character dying that I've only seen on screen for half an hour. If they do it right, yeah, they just all look a bit rubbish, though. <laughs> well, let's, uh, can I tell you who just does, who does not look rubbish? Killer Croc looks amazing. <laughs> I love Adewale anyway, and that makeup is. I, I it, really like that approach to that character. I think it's he better than the Risa fans lizard. I'll give them that. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so much better. I like, I, to be honest, I, I quite like Killer Croc. I think I think you can have fun with Killer Croc because um, just because he's kind of an idiot, um, <laughs> but he's kind of he's, and he's a bit of a sort of a blundering idiot, really. And he's kind of he's kind of a character who you get the sense like I never really think of it. He's probably been written that way sometimes, but I never really think of him as evil. It's just that he's this big hulking idiot who's been turned into a monstrous crocodile, and there's not really much else he can do, but you know go around smashing things up and and robbing people and being violent um so it depends on how they play him but i i could see them having fun with killer croc yeah. i've always quite liked the character and actually they this is a trailer that i saw jay courtney in for like to speak one line of dialogue and thought oh they've done a jay courtney character that i don't immediately find boring and dislike <laughs> quite is, like is jay courtney of, playing boomerang yes and he's well, kind of like a weird grubby just dude in a tracksuit 
With with Boomerang, I think what I would like to see them do, and I'm not sure they will, is go full pelt on having be, have him be as unpleasant as he is in the Suicide Squad comics. It looks like, um, well, it looks he's like appalling. he might be the unpleasant one. <laughs> I hope so, I, but I hope he's appalling in an amusing way, which yes. is what he is in the comics. I mean, that would um, fit the character design, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> James, you haven't said much here. I take it you are not on board with this one either. I I just think it looks like a child's idea of what a serious superhero film should be like, and that like that's generally my review of the entire DC universe, uh, cinematically. Well, they've only had one film, in fairness. Yeah, but they've had a couple of trailers, and it all looks very inspired by the new Fifty Two tone, which failed quite dramatically. So I, you know, I don't know. It's not a okay. film I'm clamouring to see. It's the kind of thing. If we weren't doing a podcast about it, I probably wouldn't see Suicide Squad. <laughs> you will be forced to see it, James, from Suicide Squad special. <laughs> I might ready be, for the, I might be ready for the day of, day of release, 2016. Admittedly, I, I like, as Seb said, I like the idea of having a film where Harley Quinn is sort of the driving factor behind it. I think of all the characters, she's the most immediately interesting to me. Uh Again, I don't love the aesthetic, but I can kind of, like I sort of see why they would go for the kind of sort of roller girl inspired Harley Quinn, mm. um, especially because that's quite popular, and that's who she's popular with as well in terms of fandom. Yeah, I, uh, I actually to to give them this, I actually kind of think the movie costume isn't as bad as either the Arkham or the New 52 costume. Yeah, I mean, it's inspired by that, but I think it's a better take because of the fact that it goes more down that roller girl kind of route. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like there's a reason for it, whereas in the New 52 and in the Arkham games, it's just, oh, she's wearing a corset for no apparent reason. It's, yeah. it, there isn't actually like a, I hate to use this phrase, but there isn't like a unifying aesthetic <laughs> behind it, whereas there kind of is with this, with the baseball bat and everything. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well let's let's move on now. So that's the last of the actual like footage that we've seen that we can discuss. Um, so from now, I'm gonna. There's quite a lot of little pieces of news that came out from Comic Con that I basically just want James and Seb to explain to me a little bit more and tell me whether I should be excited about this or not. Um, and the first one comes out of the DC panel as well, in which they really they revealed that a Green Lantern Call movie is coming. Um, guys, on the page, how does the Green Lantern Core concept? work and who are the different Green Lanterns and is this a better approach to take than doing a single Green Lantern movie? I'll answer that one first, yes. <laughs> you know the Nova Corps from Guardians? Yes. <laughs> Basically that. Yeah. So from the Ryan Reynolds movie space. when you've got all of those space Green Lanterns I assume yeah. it's it's that kind of idea but I, I guess what this is hinting at is that our hero is not going to be one earthbound Green Lantern a la Hal Jordan. It's going to be Hal Jordan, John Stewart, and maybe another? Are, are there more than those two? Um, as far as Earth Green Lanterns go, there have been... Well, there have been... I was going to say there have been three primarily, but there's, there's been more than that. Um, the, usually the idea is that you have a Green Lantern who covers a particular sector... Um, and Earth is in a particular sector. So Earth has one Green Lantern who also covers like most of the other surrounding area. And that at any given time, that Green Lantern could be Hal Jordan or it could be Jon Stewart. Um, I think they've tended to... In, in later Green Lantern Corps comics, they've tended to kind of double up on them instead because, let's face it, as a cop thing, you're more likely to have kind of two partners on the beat, and yeah. that, that approach generally kind of works better. Other human Green Lanterns that there have been are Kyle Rayner, who was... He was the 90s relaunch Green Lantern, but when he initially got the job, he was the, the only Green Lantern. The idea was the entire Green Lantern Corps had been wiped out by an, uh, turned evil Hal Jordan, um, and Kyle got given the last Green Lantern ring and became the only Green Lantern. Then eventually they all got brought back and he just kind of got folded in as a kind of a regular Green Lantern. Mm. Um, there's also Guy Gardner who, in the 80s, was he was basically, he would have been next on the list to get picked if Hal Jordan hadn't been picked and so he became kind of the along with John Stewart he was kind of like the backup Green Lantern for Earth um, and then he got quite a character shift in the late 80s in Justice League International where he got turned into a right wing Ronald Reagan fanatic hothead 
um, and in the process, surprisingly, became one of DC's best characters. Um, <laughs> I think initially he was just quite a one-note, one-joke character, but gradually they sort of turned him into this sort of working-class boy done good type hero and he's kind of he's a bit of a dick but he's also you know kind of morally quite strong he's just a, a loud mouth kind of thing and it's like that it, very it, famous fight with batman yeah uh, in in justice league international um the, the, he's constantly a loggerheads with batman over who's going to be leader of the justice league and eventually challenges batman to a fight so batman knocks him out with one punch um it's very good and then for a while after that guy godner turns really nice because the knock on the head um changes his personality (laughs) and turns him into an absolute softy but that sounds that sounds cool to me though the idea of maybe a buddy cop space movie absolutely that's by far the best way to approach the green lantern core and and like a buddy cop movie where one 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 is a human and one is an alien i mean you know because the thing with the jl core is there's only only a few of them are humans you've Mm. got this opportunity to play with lots of different alien races from all over the DC universe. Um, one of the Green Lanterns is a planet. I was about to Mogo. say the only thing I want out of this film is Mogo to appear in it. I think the problem with the Green Lantern movie was that um, it didn't fully go into what's generally considered to be the interesting thing about Green Lantern, which is the core aspect. Um, you know, we can't get into what the problems with the Green Lantern movie are <laughs> right now. We're doing we're doing a short bonus episode, uh, <laughs> but that but that all sounds cool, um, and so we can look forward to that in five years' time. Yeah. Five years—that's even further in the future. We'll have seen both Infinity Wars by the time we get to Green Lantern. So Core. there's still even beyond Infinity War. There's something to look forward to. There is. <laughs> and in humans. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to all of the X-Men stuff now. Um, and I think what, what we're going to do is skip past Deadpool because we have the promise that that trailer will be online within the next three weeks. So we'll be able to actually discuss the... Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Trailer rather than speculate about stuff that was reported from what was in it. Um... But apparently it won Comic-Con, so congratulations to Deadpool for that. Um, The next (laughs) thing I want to ask you about is Hugh Jackman came out on stage and all but confirmed that Old Man Logan will be the source material for the final Wolverine movie. Can you explain the concept of Old Man Logan to me beyond this is Logan and he's old? And how old is he? Because he's always old, so how come he's aged? Shall I take this one? (laughs) Yeah, well, I've never read it, so you better ask. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Old Man Logan is a Mark Miller comic uh, with Steve McNiven, was it? I believe. Yeah, yeah Mark Miller and Steve McNiven. Same artist as Civil War. Yep. Okay. Uh, set in sort of a distant future, I think it's maybe 50 years or so, uh, in which all of the X Men are dead and Wolverine has. In fact, all, basically all the superheroes are dead and Wolverine has taken a vow of uh, pacifism and where he never uses his claws. And the content of the comic is that him and Hawkeye, who is now blind, take a road trip across America where they visit loads of sort of landmarks and sites of famous superhero battles and places that are overrun with uh, things like Venom symbiotes and, you know, just crazy stuff. Like they're driving the Spidermobile. So it's, you know, it's completely off the wall. California is run by the Hulks, like the family of Hulks, who are the children of uh, Bruce Banner and his cousin, uh, Jennifer Walters. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a Mark Miller comic, so it's got some incest in. Yeah. Well, I I would have to imagine that, I mean, just because this is the X-Men universe, a lot of that stuff won't happen. Well, that's that's Um, the thing. Like, this is literally the entire story is let's visit this place where Marvel reference X has occurred. So what's, so I mean, if I had to guess if it was some kind of dystopian future that Wolverine was the only one left in, maybe it would make sense as kind of like a continuation of the days of future past universe, maybe, or, or it's just, or it reverts back to the 
current timeline that we see him in in the present and it's progressed i think it's more like like because they explicitly wiped out the days of future past uh universe in days of future past so i think it has to be main yeah it's more likely they'll be in the future it's more likely to me that they'll bring back, say, Yukio and maybe some other characters who were in the previous X-Men films but not main X-Men characters. And so what's, is, is there anything that is, apart from the pacifism, that defines Old Man Logan? Because he's been used now in Secret Wars, isn't he? Yeah, that, that's kind of a riff on the existing, uh, on the previous story. Well, that's the thing, there isn't really, because all he is, he's just an old Wolverine who doesn't fight anymore. <laughs> and the reason he doesn't fight is because a uh, bit of a spoiler but he was tricked into killing the x-men uh okay. by the villains so he his, he's taken a vow like if i can't trust who i'm killing i'm never going to kill anyone again but i just i just don't see how they can turn that concept into a movie well i'm sure there's a scaled back version where wolverine has been responsible for the death of someone that he shouldn't have been and that maybe it's taking place in slightly into the future in in that main universe and you can get back some of the original cast you know maybe james marsden or Frankie yeah, Anderson or people but, like that i mean because we've heard that patrick stewart is supposed to be appearing in that whether i think that's still a rumor but it, it, it seemed pretty likely at the time yeah it just it just seems to me like what's the narrative i guess i think actually i think if they're going to base it on anything they will base it on a series called wolverine the end which was a a similar idea about an old Wolverine having a fight with his a meeting and you know getting into a fight with his uh, younger brother because okay. they could bring back Sabretooth for that. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. bring back Liev Schreiber. Yeah, like that. Amazing. That would make a lot more sense than what they're proposing. Old Man Logan. Hey, if they brought back uh, Deadpool, they can bring back Sabretooth. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, well, let's stick with X Men now and talk about X Men Apocalypse. Um, and so I guess if you can, if you guys can just vaguely run over what the concept is of the apocalypse event in the comic books, um, and then for James. <laughs> or, and maybe maybe try and condense it down. Uh, but then also, I think that the big news that came out of Comic Con was that the four horsemen that Apocalypse will have are going to yes. be Angel, Psylocke, Magneto, <coughs> and Storm. And that, to me, from the little that I know about Apocalypse, seems surprising, especially Magneto and Storm. So if you could, yeah, give us a little bit of a potted history of Apocalypse and whether or whether, whether they do or don't make sense to have those four characters as the horsemen. Okay, so Apocalypse is kind of uh, a Darwinian mutant who emerged in ancient Egypt and is dedicated to the creed of survival of the fittest. So all he cares about is that the strongest mutants survive so that they can subjugate humanity. Um, And to that end, he kind of... His MO is to test mutants by attacking them. And, you know, if they die, they weren't worthy. And if they survive, they were. And one of the things he does is uh, enlist these horsemen who are basically his instruments in causing violence and chaos. Okay. Who are they in the comics? In the comics, they tend to be different characters all the time. Like uh, Wolverine got brainwashed and was one for a while. Uh, Colossus's brother was one. Angel is normally... Uh, Yeah, yeah. Angel Angel is defined by the arc, isn't he? Yeah, Angel is probably the most popular in that he... He becomes Archangel? Yeah, in the series X Factor, he lost his wings and Apocalypse gave him metallic wings and turned him into death. Uh, and he broke out of Apocalypse's control and became Archangel. And so is it brainwashing, or is it... Do you expect these characters to be tricked into becoming Apocalypse's horsemen, or are they going to be recruited by him? Uh, I think these characters specifically... There's mention in the synopsis that they've released that Apocalypse is running a cult. Hmm. Whether, like He doesn't have telepathic powers necessarily. He tends to brainwash sort of mechanically and stuff with machines... Right. Uh, so it's possible they'll just go the route of these characters believe in him. But I don't like the thing is I don't see Magneto willingly following him. Yes. On the other hand, Psylocke is a telepath, so maybe she's, you know, enticing Magneto. Yeah. And then Storm seems very surprising. Yeah. The they've gone with an interesting version of Storm, uh, which is the sort of eighties punk version. 
Yeah. Uh, a version much beloved of comic readers everywhere, but very at odds with the previous depiction of her in the movies. I think it would make a lot of sense to just try and rewrite these characters, though, because I don't think anyone was ever particularly attached to Halle Berry's Storm. Well, no, I th- I, I, I'm willing to give them complete free reign to rewrite those characters in a fresh, in a different timeline. Yeah, it w- I mean, it would be tough to to have Storm willingly join up with Apocalypse using any version of her that has appeared in the comics. Uh, but again, if he, if you know, maybe she signed up for some reason, maybe she was offered mm. something that she didn't yeah. want to turn down maybe she was saving her her family or her country who knows yeah i'm quite looking forward to this one i really like oscar isaac and while not everything about days of future past works for me i think it did a good job of kind of like saying okay fresh fresh slate let's do something and apocalypse seems big I, i've read nearly you know like i've read the like two x-men comics that you've recommended i read but Apocalypse is someone that I keep hearing about as kind of like this big iconic villain and yeah. pretty much as powerful as they get. Yeah, I mean Apocalypse is he the is... Thanos of the X Men universe. Oh, yeah, definitely. That that's the kind of level we're looking at. I mean, he's yeah. he's my favourite villain by some distance. Like, I just love every time Apocalypse turns up. Um, and I'm I'm really excited actually that they're using a big villain who isn't Magneto mm. because if anything bothers me about the X Men franchise, it's that they like. I can understand why they would be sort of seduced by the ideological conflict between Xavier and Magneto and keep returning yeah. to it. But I just think it there are so many other villains that you could use who represent different sides of that argument. And Apocalypse mm. is one of them, like the idea that mutants, you know, in evolutionary terms, deserve to inherit the Earth. Very interesting. Okay, so, well, I'm looking forward to that one, but we're going to uh, completely flip back again and go to DC, so to Seb. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> get back ready. Um, and this is back in the TV universe uh, with Arrow and The Flash. Um, and so, starting with Arrow, which I know you don't watch, Seb, but mm. we've had it pretty much confirmed that Arrow is now going to be transitioning into the Green Arrow, and Starling City is becoming Star City, and... The, the general consensus or the general um, attitude from the showrunners seem to be that, yeah, this is going to be a character who is going to be moving closer to what he is in the comics. So I was wondering what defines that character on the page and what, you know, what what might we be able to expect in from an arrow who I think that probably the CW and everyone involved wouldn't be too averse to moving him a little bit more tonally close to the Flash. Well, I mean, I suppose that there's kind of two things here, really, which is um, if they're moving it tonally closer to the Flash, um, then that makes me more likely to maybe want to watch it. And actually, it's starting to feel like this season might be a jumping on point for those of us who didn't really get on with Arrow, but who liked, who really liked the Flash. Mm. Um, it's, it seems weird for that, you know, Arrow's been the longer running one and you would think is the more successful one. And it seems slightly weird for them to, you know, shift the you know what's originally the bigger show towards the other one but then i gather that the last season of arrow didn't really go down so well the last season so of I, arrow was unquestionably the worst and yeah. didn't do well with the comparison of the flash playing next to it every week being amazing yeah and it's weird because like because you'd imagine that the reason why people like arrow is that it's kind of you know quite a dark and a morally complex you know sort of vigilante show rather than a superhero show um so it's interesting to sort of to potentially alienate some of the people who like that approach by shifting it closer to the flash because the flash is the one that's successful but like i say you know as, as someone who loves the flash um i i'd be more than happy to to give arrow a shot if they're doing things like as i say calling him green arrow and, and calling it <laughs> star city and stuff like that an interesting flip side to that is what i like about um green arrow in the comics I mean, I think the there have been some good runs with the character of, of Oliver Queen, but I think the the best one is the one in the 1980s where they specifically tonally made the series a lot darker. Right. Didn't refer to him as Green Arrow, um, and this is, and the book was it, it was Mike Grell's run. Um, it's the the run that started with the Longbow Hunters and then um, span into an ongoing series, um, and that made him. Um, basically like a mercenary um, rather than a vigilante or a superhero. Which I think um, is probably where the show started, in Yeah, fairness. exactly. So, yeah. Um, now, that that run of comics is great. Um, it, it comes from a time when it's the, it's the kind of mid to late 80s, it's post-crisis, <coughs> and DC are doing a lot of comics that sort of... That they want to say to people, you know, where 
we're grown up and and we're adult and we're you know we're a bit more for kind of maturity you know we're not for kids anymore kind of Mm. thing and that leads to some bad comics but it also leads to things like mike grell's green arrow and john ostrander's suicide squad you know those comics are both from from that era and they share a very similar aesthetic um and feel and tone um and yeah i just i really like those green arrow comics which is why i'm surprised that i didn't really get on with a tv series that seemed to be inspired by them but i think a key difference and i think this is one of the reasons i've never really got on with arrow is i don't like a young green arrow right and it's the same reason i don't get on with the new 52 comics even though i gather that some of those have been quite good apparently jeff lemire's run was was pretty good on that but one of the things I really like about the 80s Green Arrow comics is it's taking a character, establishing that he had been a superhero for years and years beforehand, and now he's kind of getting on a bit. He's in his 40s or even his 50s. Um, he, you know, he's slowing down. He's taking these mercenary jobs. He's got a past that's coming back to haunt him. It's that stuff that I really liked about the character. And similarly, um, Kevin Smith's run, which I absolutely love, and even... Um, Kevin Smith's run was immediately followed by a writer called Judd Winnick, who I generally do not like at all. <laughs> and his run immediately after Kevin Smith was great as well. Um, and that run, while it was quite different tonally, again played up the the, the aspect of, of Oliver being a bit older than most of the people around him. Mm. And that's what I've always thought has been the thing that sets him apart, is that he's this kind of grumpy old man. <laughs> um, so, so that's the side of Oliver Queen that I like. He's so a very grumpy young man in the show. Him. He really is a very grumpy young man. Um, yeah. the, the other question I wanted to ask you, so they've cast Neil McDonough, who is the MCU's Dum Dum Dugan, as Damien Dark in this season, but have hinted that there might be an even bigger villain coming beyond him. Does the Green Arrow have an iconic villain on the page that it could be working towards? Is that... Because, I mean, they did Rachel Ghoul last season, which really didn't Who's work. Who's a Batman um, <laughs> um, have, they all, they've already, have they already done Merlin? Yes, it's John Barrowman. <laughs> and he's he's there all the time. There was an amazing episode in the third probably... season where John Barrowman beat up Vinnie Jones. Uh, I've never been more thrilled watching anything on the TV as when John Barrowman was beating up Vinnie Jones. <laughs> um, I would say that... Actually, no, okay, so there's two or three, really, actually. And I think, well, there's two that I know that they've done on the show. So, well, now you've told me that they've done Merlin. I, I think Merlin is probably the main arch enemy. Mm. The other one would be Deathstroke, and I gather they've done Deathstroke yes, they have. in the show as well. Um, I, I really like Deathstroke. Yes, actually, that was but, the best season. Um, and again, a lot of the reasons why I like Deathstroke are the same reasons I like Green Arrow. It's the fact that he's an old man. Um, and probably the other... I'll tell you one they could bring. I'm assuming they haven't done him. And it is someone who was created by Kevin Smith for Kevin Smith's run, which is on a Matapia. I... Uh, although I said like, God knows how he'd work on screen. I may said, you're not going to suggest onomatopoeia, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but he's the only other one I can think of who has been a significant kind of nemesis for him. going to yeah. have to look yeah. into that character. It sounds amazing. Um, Amanda Waller is there in the background in all of the flashbacks from the five years earlier, so I do wonder whether that maybe that is going to come to some kind of big head by the time the show ends. But um, it's, it's starting to catch back up on itself now that I think it's progressory three of the five years that he flashes back to so they haven't got an awful lot they can still do in those flashbacks um let's move on now uh our, our final piece of news is the flash um and so the there was quite quite a few big announcements made for the flash which is a show that doesn't seem afraid afraid to just throw new concepts at you all the time so zoom will be the villain in season two uh, and we also know that two characters, Wally West and Jay Garrick, are both going to be introduced during that season. Seb, can you do me a quick job of summing up who <laughs> Wally West Ooh. is, who Jay Garrick is, and who is Zoom, and should we be happy to see all of them on The Flash Season 2? Right. Uh, I mean, oh, again, to answer the last question first, I reckon so, because, as you say, it shows that the show is not afraid to just go batshit mental with some of this stuff. Mm. So very quickly, uh, Wally West, um, it, well... Um, bearing in mind you know that Barry Allen is the second Flash because he's the Silver Age yes. Flash uh, Wally West is the third Flash but was originally Kid Flash so he he got super speed powers became Kid Flash and was basically the Flash's sidekick and then when Barry Allen was killed during Crisis on Infinite Earths he became the Flash and his surname um, is West so yes he's he's Iris's nephew Iris's nephew you'd imagine yeah. that maybe he might need to be shifted around a bit to 
Um, unless, unless it's some... he they, well, he could be a member of the West family. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, obviously he is because his name is West. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe it wouldn't work with him being Iris's nephew, I suppose. But is know, he black he could in just, the comics? He because be... the, the West family no. are all black in the show. No, but there's no reason he can't be black in the TV show. No, well, I think he would probably so. have to be now. Um, and actually, in the New 52, before they had introduced Iris in the Flash TV show, um, they had very briefly introduced a black and dead Wally West in the New 52 okay. continuity, which maybe wasn't the best way to go about no. it. Um, it was a whole... It was five. It was something to do with they jumped five years in the future and showed that he that, that Wally West had been around and had been killed yeah. off or something. Um, but that's cool. That opens up a lot of possibilities. That it could either be a sidekick to start with, or it could be yeah. someone that Barry is well aware is going to take over from him when he dies. I mean, Wally's interesting because I think sort of I think the Flash is the character who, with possible exception of Green Lantern, um, the legacy hero who each successive one has generally done a really good job of, of making the role their own. It's like, you know, Jay Garrick was the first Flash. We'll, we'll come back to Jay Garrick in a minute. Um, obviously, then Barry Allen became a more kind of iconic and well-known Flash. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, anyone who kind of started reading comics in the 1980s or thereabouts or even the 90s, you know, Wally was just as much the Flash mm. as Barry because he was the Flash for a very long time. And also probably some of the best runs of Flash comics were um, Mark Wade's run in the 90s is probably thought of as one of the major definitive Flash runs. Um, you know, so, so for a lot of people, Wally is just as justifiably the Flash as Barry Allen. And it was only the fact that DC were being run by people who had grown up in the 60s and 70s that 10 years or so ago they went actually we're going to bring Barry back we don't like Wally because Barry is our Flash so we're going to bring Barry back instead um, and and I think the only reason that Barry is the Flash in the TV show um, well no there's a couple of reasons I think firstly the cop thing works quite well in a TV show context and secondly he's currently the Flash in the comics so mm. that's what they've gone with um, introducing Wally is interesting just because you know you can't really have two Flashes running around no pun intended um <laughs> Um, who are from kind of the same Earth. So I don't know necessarily what they'll do with Wally, but I think they'll probably set him up as a potential future Flash or something. Yes. But saying you can't have two Flashes running around from the same Earth brings us on to Jay Garrick, which is that originally Jay Garrick was the Golden Age Flash. Hmm. And then after DC had introduced the Silver Age version of the Flash, uh, they published a very famous comic called The Flash of Two Worlds, um, still one of the most important comics they've ever published, because this involved Flash... Uh, Wally, uh, Barry Allen meeting Jay Garrick who to him was a character who I think this was the case I don't know if they or if this was worked in as a retcon but he was a character who he had read about in comics right that's because amazing. he existed on a different earth and this is where it was first established that there were two earths earth one and earth two um, the, and the, the golden age characters who'd been around in the 30s and 40s including the original versions of Superman and Batman lived on earth two and the then current versions of the characters lived on Earth One, hmm. and this was where the DC multiverse began. And it meant that they could start to do things like they could have Earth Two being the place where the characters were all a bit older, and they could do things like they killed off the Earth Two Batman and actually properly permanently killed him off. Um, and you know, it, it, it became their playground for for experimenting with things a bit more. So for a long time, Jay Garrick was the older Flash. Um, but was on Earth 2. Then you have Crisis on Infinite Earths, which folds everything back into one Earth, and the idea was there had never been multiple Earths at that point. So Jay Garrick became the character who had been the Flash in the 40s and 50s and, you know, was old and retired and was basically Barry Allen's predecessor, which obviously he wasn't when it was multiple Earths. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so it leaves them open to a bunch of possibilities on the show. It leaves them open to a bunch of possibilities, but the fact that they've cast, obviously they haven't cast an old man as no. Jay, um, suggests that they're going with the current status quo, which is since the New 52, they established an Earth 2 um, that was rather than being sort of 30 years down the line, was kind of five years down the line and was, was a world where Superman, Batman and I think Wonder Woman had all died fighting in this big war. Right. Um, and other characters had kind of popped up. And so they, so the Alan Scott Green Lantern, who was the original Earth 2 Green Lantern, and Jay Garrick Flash are that Earth's version of the characters, but they are younger. Yeah. So I think it's just yeah, going to cool. be the case that in the, in the Flash TV show, Jay Garrick is going to be from an alternate Earth, and he's going to be the Flash on an alternate Earth. Yeah, and we, we have seen his helmet come through that, that wormhole already, which suggests it yeah. is, uh, is an, an, an Earth 2 
or mm. something like that. And it sounds like something the show is going to be excited to cover. And finally, yep. so Zoom. Zoom is going to be the villain, Seb. <laughs> and this confused me greatly because I googled Zoom and it said that was Earbud Fawn, who was yeah. really Harrison <laughs> Wells in the first season. So I was very confused, but you can explain this to me. Yeah, so Eobard Thorne was also known as Professor Zoom. I don't know which name he had first, although I'll bet he was called Professor Zoom first when he was introduced in the 1950s, because it's the most 1950s name imaginable. And then he became um, Reverse Flash. And then he's he, he's the he's the original Reverse Flash. Right. Um, you've then he was Barry Allen's Reverse Flash. Um, Zoom, just Zoom, no Professor. Obviously, didn't get his academic qualifications. Is a different character called Hunter Zolomon, who I think is also from the future, but he was Wally West's Reverse Flash. So he was created by Jeff Johns, um, probably kind of in the probably some point in the two thousands. I think Jeff Johns was writing Flash, right? Um, and introduced him as as Wally's kind of um, you know Reverse Flash okay. arch nemesis. So, so that, that I mean that could uh, actually my, tie in. It could. My suspicion is probably... If we go on the assumption that in the TV show Wally is not going to be the Flash and Jay Garrick is going to be an alternate Flash... Maybe he could be I Jay Garrick's the, reverse Flash? That is exactly yeah. the assumption I would go with, yeah. That's that's very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that second season of the show so much. Um, I was kind of like thinking, if that show ended after one season in its kind of perfect form, I would have been very happy. Like, yeah. with just having that one season of good TV and never having it tainted. But I'm kind of confident they're going to pull it off. I mean, they've also got Caitlin sat there waiting to be Killer Frost and Cisco mm. apparently waiting to be Vibe. Going to be Vibe. And they've just <laughs> oh, just heard before we started recording this, they've cast Michael Ironside as Captain Cold's dad. Um, oh. <laughs> which is just going to be great. Um, so, yeah, all of that sounds fun. And actually, just, just a quick little bit of trivia. We almost saw Barry Allen and Wally West on the screen together before. Uh, that was in George Miller's Justice League Mortal. They had... Um, Adam Brody cast as Barry Allen, and he was going to die at the uh, in the big battle at the end of the film with Anton Yelchin's Wally West set to take <laughs> over at the end of the film. Anton Yelchin would be a had. good Wally West, actually. Wally West, as he is in the original comics, that mm. <laughs> I could see that working. <laughs> Okay, well, there was some other news to come out of Comic-Con, um, but probably it wasn't as, as right for discussion as all of that was. Um, but if you do want to hear that, head back to last week's mini-sode where um, I covered more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and all, all that kind of stuff as well. Um, but that is it for this week. Um, I'll be back this time next week with our usual Ant-Man mini-sode in its correct place. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice and if you've already subscribed then please leave us a rating or review you can find us on facebook on twitter at cu underscore podcast and send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com you can find previous episodes of the podcast at cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com and because this is a film divider podcast on filmdivider.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week goodbye bye Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.